0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the JAR. Uh, we're so glad you're here, those of you on the stream and everyone who's live here as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, our family for fall break, uh, we went to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where we looked at the uh, Flight 93 National Museum. And it was very moving. It was very powerful. I would encourage any of you, uh, if you ever get a chance, make that a priority. And as uh, you get there, there is this long sidewalk and engraved into the cement are all the events, all the tragic events that took place on 9-11 that then eventually opens itself up to an overlook of exactly where uh, the tragedy of Flight 93 took place. And when we went on to this overlook, there were about, I would say, 75 people or so, and no one was talking. It was very moving, and uh, people were not saying a word at all. And then, as you are on this overlook, as you're looking out, there's this large brown object... That's in the middle of the field where the tragic loss of life took place. And I was thinking to myself, well, this must be the landmark of exactly where uh, the trash took place, the exact site. And it was at that point um, that, you know, people are just very, very moved by it. And have you ever been at a, a place before where you're looking at something for the first time and people see different things. Uh, one person sees one thing, another person sees something else. Well, um, my wife, Jennifer, who is one of the smartest people I know, as we're standing on this overlook and we're looking uh, at this tragic scene, um, people are around us and and some are are weeping and and some are just very, very quiet. And then my wife, I don't know why, but in a very, very loud voice, this is what she says. Is that an animal moving in the field? And everybody looks at her and they're like, "Huh?" and we tried not to look at her like. She wasn't a part of our family at that time. We were just like not even going to claim her. And everyone is staring at her face like, you idiot. Are you nuts? What are you thinking? And I pulled her aside and I go, Jen. I was like, honey, that's not an animal. That's a boulder of where the accident actually took place. And all of a sudden she goes, oh my gosh. She goes, we're out of here. And we left, <laughs> never even saw anymore. Now, uh, the reason I bring that up is because this is what I'm going to talk about today. And what I'm going to talk about today is perspective. And what perspective basically means is how you see something. And two people can be looking at the exact same object or the exact same situation or the exact same circumstance. And they can have two very different perspectives. Um, Jennifer saw an animal. Every other sane person that was on that ledge knew that was a boulder. Okay? Um, But even in that funny story, the, the reality is we can look at something and we can have two very different perspectives. And so today I want to talk about this concept of perspective and I want to talk about it in reference to a perspective of praise, a perspective of praise. Now, the way we're going to do this is we're going to look through the lens uh, of a guy in the Bible by the name of Paul who wrote close to half of the New Testament. And over the past couple of weeks we have been looking specifically at his words in Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse 6. But before we jump into the scripture today again I want to give you a little bit of background of where he is writing this from. When Paul writes these words he's actually writing them not from some tropical island with uh, a little drink that he's sipping on But he actually is writing these words from jail, from the slammer. And every single day, he is chained to a Roman guard for 24 hours every single day. Each morning, when he wakes up, there's a guard with him. When he goes to bed at night, there is a guard with him as well. And month after month goes by, and he doesn't know what his situation is going to be like. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed, and he'll not have any more life yet, or something else will transpire. He's hoping for the best, but he's not sure. Now, anyone who is in jail on trial for your life, they have a good reason to be anxious. If there's anyone who should have anxiety and fear within his life, it would be Paul. And yet... He writes these words instead. Even though it should have been doom and gloom, he writes these words. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And just like your mom, uh, he repeats it again. Rejoice. Uh, Have you ever had that experience before? My mom still does it. She's 83, I'm 50, and she'll grab my face and she'll go, are you listening? Have you ever done that? And this is kind of what Paul is doing. He's saying, uh, rejoice. And let me say it again, rejoice. I mean, he could have had a perspective anxiety and nobody would have worried about it. He could be filled with angst and stress and tension. But instead, he gives these words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, folks, this is an amazing verse. I love this verse. Um, It's a great verse to have on your coffee mug. It's a great verse to have on a greeting card. It's a great verse to actually have on a magnet that you put up on your refrigerator. But when you're going through a difficult time and you're going through a struggle, what you don't want to hear is somebody come up to you and go, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, can anyone relate? Look at you! all of you are holy today, you know, hopefully those of you on the stream. Can anyone relate? Yeah, like like when you're going through something difficult, it's very hard to have perspective. For example, let's say you're driving your car and all of a sudden you get a flat tire. When you get that flat tire, you pull off the side of the road, you get out, it's below zero. The wind is howling. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you got a flat tire. Well, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I'm like, you know what? You say that one more time and I'm going to give you something to rejoice about, you know? Like, like what's that about? Say it one more time. And I'll give you something to rejoice about. That's why when Paul says these words, rejoice in the Lord always, I'm like, really, Paul? Like, really? Rejoice? Always? You find out that your spouse has been lying to you about something for a long period of time. Rejoice in the Lord always? You lose your job. You don't know if you're going to be able to make rent. Really, Paul? Rejoice in the Lord always? You find out that one of your kids is doing some really bad stuff. Rejoice in the Lord always? You find out that in some particular way that your friend has actually betrayed you. Rejoice in the Lord always? And maybe for some of you, you battle anxiety at night and you're anxious to the point where you can't fall asleep and a couple of nights pile up and then a couple of months do and you're not sleeping very well and you're anxious all the time and you wake up in the morning and you don't even want to leave the house because you're anxious. Really, Paul? Rejoice in the Lord always. And so it's out of this context Of Paul being put on trial and he's in jail that he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. And then Paul goes on to talk about anxiety as he says these words. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, how could Paul do that? How could he rejoice when he was in jail? How could he rejoice when the only thing that Paul wanted to do with his life was to actually show the good news of Jesus Christ, to share it, to show love to everyone else. And every morning, he wakes up and he's in prison. How could he do that? Well, the way that he did it was he had a different perspective. Because when it comes down to it, folks, it's all about perspective. Now, Paul could have just looked at his situation... At face value and say, you know what? This is bad. Like this is really, really bad. My ministry is over. My dreams are crushed. My anxiety is off the chain. I am done. In fact, what I want to do right now is to show you a version of the Bible that's very close to it. But it's from a, a different version. Um. Some of you may have heard of some of the different versions of the Bible, the NIV, the NLT. But today, I wonder, have you ever heard of the BPV? Anybody ever heard of that? The BPV version? Well, the reason you've never heard of it is because I made it up. Okay? It doesn't uh, exist. But this is what the BP version of the Bible means. It is the bad perspective version. Okay, It is the bad perspective version. Ha- have you ever gone to that version before in your life? You just kind of see everything in a bad and a negative kind of light. And Paul could have easily had a bad perspective version. In fact, if he did, it would have sounded like this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really Stinks. My God let me down. I'm overwhelmed by anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. And because of all the hell that I've gone through, I'm no longer going to my small group and I'm quitting church. Ever been there before? Can you relate? It's the bad perspective version. It's easy to come with a bad perspective version. You look at your situation and you think to yourself, this is bad. Like, I don't think it's going to get any worse than what it is right now. But the reality is, is that for Paul, he had a very different perspective. As he looked at it, he said to himself, you know what? This is a bad situation, and I wouldn't have chosen it. But the reality is, even though I want to be sharing the good news of Jesus outside these prison walls, every single day I am bound and chained to three or more prison guards who are Romans who do not know Jesus. And so now I have the opportunity to actually share my faith with people who if I wasn't in prison, I would have never known them and I would have never had the opportunity to share Christ. I mean, can you imagine, if you read Paul's words, can you imagine being chained to him for eight hours or more? Like, he would drive you nuts the whole time. You're like, hey, how you doing, Paul? Well, hey, you want to know about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Have you ever heard about this story, that story? Let me tell you. Uh, This is what happened to my life. This is what happened to Jesus. All the time. And so he turned his perspective around. Because when it all comes down to it, folks, it's all about perspective. So, for those of you that are on the stream right now, what I'd like you to do is type in, it's all about perspective. Okay? And for all of you that are in the auditorium, wake the person up beside you if you have to, okay? Uh, Look at them and just tell them it's all about perspective. Okay? Go ahead. Tell them. It's all about perspective. Folks, you can look at a situation and you can say to yourself, this is bad. This is horrible. I'm never going to overcome it. Or you can have a perspective of praise. That's what Paul chose to do, to have a perspective of praise. You could look at the same situation and say, well, God, this is not what I intended. This is not what I was hoping to go through. But when you look at it through the lens of praise, you think to yourself, well, God, I know that you're going to work and move in this in some way that I can't see right now because you've done it in the past, and I know you'll do it again. And you remind me time and time again that you are causing all things to come together for good for those who love you. And I love you, God, so I'm going to look at this from a different perspective. I'm going to look at it through a perspective of praise. Now, what's so powerful about this story is that this is not the first time that Paul had ever been in jail before. In fact, much of his life, he was in prison for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he had to learn that when he was in prison, he would have a different perspective of how he would reach and impact other people. There's this one story in which uh, one day... Uh, Paul and his friend Silas uh, were in this city. And there was a woman who had an evil spirit within her. And Paul and Silas had learned from Jesus that Jesus had the power to remove evil spirits. And so they went and they prayed for this woman. And this evil spirit left this woman. And she had freedom for the first time in her life. But some of the religious leaders were not so happy about that, and what took place was there was this small little fight that broke out. And pretty soon that fight got bigger and bigger and bigger until it was this gigantic, chaotic kind of riot that happened in the city. And Paul and Silas get beat by the crowd with rods and they eventually are arrested. They are put into jail and the religious leaders don't like the fact that they are getting all the attention and they say you need to beat them in jail as well. And so it takes place. And so in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 22, this is what we read. The crowd joined in the attack. Against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, I'm hoping that none of you will be stripped of your clothes and beaten with rods this week, okay? I hope that doesn't happen to you. But this is what I was thinking about today, uh, or over the last few weeks as I was preparing that some of you this week might be stripped of your confidence. There might be something that happens in your workplace or in your relationship with your spouse or in your family or from your parents or from a co-worker where your confidence gets stripped away. Maybe for others of you, it could be your faith. Your faith kind of gets stripped away. Maybe you'll be beaten down with a sense of anxiety. Maybe you'll be beaten with a sense of doubt in your life. And so what I want you to visualize is that Everything is going well for Paul and Silas, and they simply see this woman, and they try to take care of her, and in the midst of that situation, they are wronged greatly. No one is honoring them and their whole power that happened as they healed this woman, and They're beaten, they're broken down, maybe they get a broken nose, they're bloodied in some way, and they're laying on this prison floor all by themselves. I mean, we're talking about a severe beating, folks. Something where you're beaten down so much that you can't lift yourself up. And so in the midst of this, the question really becomes, what are they going to do? And this is what they do. They actually choose to have a worship night. You're like, serious? Like you're beaten, you're bloodied, you're down on this prison floor. And they choose to have a time where they're going to worship and praise God. Now the question becomes, how can they do that? How could they do that? It's all a matter of perspective. You know, throughout this series, I've been sharing about maybe the time in my ministry life where I had the most anxiety to where I just almost couldn't move forward. In a matter of nine months, uh, all of the staff except for one had resigned and had left the church. I started having some major panic attacks, wasn't sure I could make it. I thought for sure I was going to crash and burn, and I thought that the church would crash and burn as well. It was very severe. And so I went to a counselor and when I got to the counselor, I just kind of spewed all this out and I just kept talking and talking and talking and talking about how bad uh, things were going and that the church, I wasn't sure if it was going to survive and I was going to crash and burn. And I figured the church was also and I just spewed all this out and I just kept sharing and sharing and sharing and I finally stopped and this guy didn't interrupt me at all and then he said, Now, Chris, what I want you to do right now is I want you to think of the worst-case scenario. And I'm like, I just paid $100 to have you tell me that? Seriously? You want me to think of the worst-case scenario? Now, Chris, I want you to know that I'm 100% sure that it's not going to take place, but what do you think is the worst-case scenario? And I started thinking about it, and I thought, well the church would die and close, and it would be no more, that we would fail as a church. And he said, okay. He said, well, if the church failed, it had to close its doors, would God still love you? I'm like, ugh. (laughs) Seriously? Seriously? Like, that's why I tell people all the time. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He just loves you. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess he'd still love me. And he goes, your wife, Jennifer, and your two girls, your young girls at that time. uh, If the church failed, would would they still love you? I was like, well, yeah, they'd still love me. And he said, the people in the church, even though some of the staff have left, are people in the church, are they leaving too? Are they there to, no, 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 they're there to support me. So they love you too, right? And if it failed, do you think they'd still love you? They'd still be your friend? Yeah, I do. And then I'll never forget, he said, the problem is, is that you have a real issue. I'm not trying to make that less than. You have to fill all of these roles. I get it. You're a growing church. There's some things that are happening there. I want you to know you have a real issue. The problem is, is you're only looking at what's wrong, and you're not looking at the good that you have. You see, the reality is, you have a lot of good in your life, Chris. The God of the universe looks down, and He loves you. Your family loves you. Your church family loves you. You're in good health. You're not abusing any substances that are causing issues. I mean, there's a lot of good that's going on in your life. There's some really good news. And you see, folks, in that, in that time of sitting there with this counselor, the only thing that I was looking at, was what was wrong and all of the anxiety that was there. And his perspective was totally different. He said, Chris, the reason why you're panicking so much is because you're just looking at what's wrong. But don't forget to look at what's right. And I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I bet I'm talking to somebody who's in this auditorium or who's on the stream But you need to know that no matter what you're going through, how difficult it is, and some of you are going through some tough stuff. I get that. You have an issue. It's big. I'm not trying to minimize it in the least. But don't just focus on that, but make sure that you're looking at the bigger picture as well. For example, do you have friends? Then celebrate that. Do you have your health? then celebrate that. Do you have a church family who loves you and cares for you and wants to encourage you and would have your back absolutely all the time? So, don't just look at what's wrong, but look at what's right. Don't just look at what's wrong, but also look at what is right too. But how Could Paul and Silas do this? I mean, you and I are not in a a prison that we've just been beaten down and charged with something that was not true. These guys were falsely accused. They had been beaten to an inch of their life. They're on a prison floor just laying there. How is it that they could still worship God and give Him praise? Well, maybe... Paul, one day, was on the floor and he kind of leaned over to Silas and he said, Hey man, this is bad, but we're not dead. And if we're not dead, then we're not done. Folks, some of you need to hear that today. If you're not dead, God is not done with you. Paul and Silas, they looked at their situation simply from a very different perspective. And they said, let's go ahead, even in the midst of this badness that's going on, and let's worship God. And here's what they did. Scripture says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and all the prisoners were listening To them. Now, this is what I want you to notice. They are praying to God, they are singing hymns to God, but their situation, folks, has not changed whatsoever. This is before any miracle takes place. This is before they were delivered from prison. There is nothing miraculous going on in this moment. They weren't praising God in that moment for what he had done for them. They were simply praising him for who he is. And that kind of leads us to our big idea. This is your fill-in to take home. I pray that you would write it down. Some of you, if you want, get a tattoo because you need it. Keep it with you all the time, but here it is. You praise God for who he is, not for what he does. We do praise him for what he does. But true praise, folks, is when you praise him for who he is and not for what he does. You know, when you praise God simply for who he is, it is a deeper type of praise. It's not because, you know, I put my quarter into the vending machine and said, hey, God, give me this. It's when there's nothing coming out of the machine at all. But you just say, he is good and I'm going to choose to praise him no matter what. It's when you praise him for who he is rather than what he has done that you have full praise. A couple of uh, Wednesdays ago, I woke up in the morning and I was feeling kind of anxious. Now that's weird because I've been teaching about anxiety for two weeks. And long before that, we've been doing this for a year. But I woke up that morning, I was kind of anxious because I had a meeting that morning with the trustees. The trustees make me anxious. And so I had this meeting and we were going to begin the process of creating a budget for 2022. And every time we do a budget, I take it so seriously because I want to use the resources that God has given to us in the best possible way. I never want to waste anything that you give or that God gives through through you. And so we went to this trustees meeting, and I left from it thinking, God, here's what I'm thinking, but are you going to meet this need? Are you listening, God? Will we be able to do what I'm hoping we're going to be able to do? And so after the trustee meeting, I took my girls to school and I went back home to spend my prayer time. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but you get ready to start praying. And all of a sudden, everything starts racing in your head to a point where you can't pray. And I was thinking about the trustee budget, and then I started thinking about the big crowd of people that we had on the very first Sunday, and would we continue to be able to help people with their anxiety? Would it just filter off, or could we kind of continue to, uh, to do that? And I started wondering, can we keep reaching people? And the next day, we had our trunk or treat, and they were predicting 100% rain, I had spent months working with the president of First Merchants Bank to have all their employees out of the parking lot so that we would have the parking lot by ourselves. I was building this relationship. I didn't want it to look down, but if it's raining and it's cold, what are we going to do as the plan B? And all of this is rushing in my head. And so I'm panicking. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, I get this prompting of conviction. Have you ever got one of those from God before where he convicts you of something? And this was the conviction. Aren't you preaching in two weeks about praising God in the midst of anxiety? I was like, ugh. Really? Are you going to praise me in the midst of this? Will you just continue to be anxious and panicky, or are you going to choose to praise me? And in the midst of that, I was like, okay, God, I want to do that. And a song came to my mind, a song that we used to sing all the time here in the church called um, Mighty to Save. And the lyrics kind of go like this. It says this, so take me as you find me, all my fears and failures fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender all. And then the chorus goes on. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. My God is mighty to save. And... I'm in our bedroom. No one's in the house. I'm having my hands lifted up. I'm praising God a cappella. It only says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, okay? So, so God was good with that. And I'm praising God. I'm singing this song that I have known for multiple years. And the circumstances had not changed. The money for the budget had not been taken care of. The trunk or treat was still predicted to have 100% rain The attendance of what was going to happen, I had no idea. I had no control over whatsoever. And I still have all of this stuff that's on my plate. And yet God saved me in the moment. And he took away my anxiety. And he delivered me from my fear. You know, folks, had I stayed in the bad version perspective, had I stayed with that bad perspective version, that everything bad and everything's not going to work out and it's going to be horrible, I would have never experienced the freedom that I had when I finally chose to give God praise in the midst of it. And this is what happened. Once I started to praise God, all of a sudden I got some clarity and I got some peace. And all of a sudden my perspective had changed. Now, I don't want to be as simplistic as to say this, that if you praise God, all of your anxiety is going to go away. I hate it when churches do that or pastors do, because the reality is I don't know that. God might do that, but he might not. But this is what I know. That if you, in the midst of your anxiety or fear, if you start praising God, it will change your perspective. Guaranteed. Because you cannot panic and praise at the same time. You can only do one or the other. And when you choose to praise God, your perspective changes. Because it's all about that. And on that Wednesday morning, the only thing that changed was that my perspective changed to turn to prayer over my worry. Now, this is what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine right now, if you can, the context of what Paul and Silas are in. They have been beaten They're bloodied. Maybe they have a broken nose, a broken rib, something else that's broken. And they're on this prison floor. And yet, in the midst of that, they choose to decide to worship God. And the scripture says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, boom! suddenly God shows up. Now, when does God show up? He doesn't show up before their praise. He shows up in the middle of their praise. He shows up in the middle of the praise. And the scripture goes on to say this, Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. All at once. Visualize that. All these chains are coming off of every single person who is in this prison, they're in jail. They have a broken rib. They have broken noses. They are down on their, on the floor of the prison. There is absolutely no reason for them to be praising God. And then all of a sudden, Paul kind of leans over to sigh. That's what I call him, his nickname. If you don't have a nickname for your buddy, then they're not your buddy, Okay? But this is what he does. Paul kind of leans over. He's like, Sigh, Sigh, Sigh. Are you up? Sila, Sigh, Silas, are you up? And Silas's like, Yeah, 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 I'm up. And he's like, I just got this idea. I've got this idea that we're not dead. And because we're not dead, I think what we should do is give God a little praise. I mean the reality is I know right now in our situation there's so much anxiety that we're feeling. We're not sure if we're even going to make it. But I was just thinking, Cy, that maybe, just maybe, we should give some give God some praise. I mean, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still working good for us that we can't see. And maybe, Psy, just maybe, let's just give God a little praise. What do you think? And Psy goes, well, okay, well, do you got a song that you think you might want to sing? And Paul says, yeah, I do. There's a song that's going to be at the jar on November 7th, 2021, called... Mighty to save. And I think that's the song that we should praise God in. So right now I'm going to invite all of you to stand up as Caleb and the band lead us in Mighty to Save.
1: is our Savior hope of nations Savior, he can move the mountain my God is mighty to say. Yeah. i
0: loving God, we thank you so much that you desire to move the mountain of anxiety from our lives. I pray right now, God, that every single person who has a weight or a burden, that they would feel like they just can't move on, that they would know, God, that you are with them, that you are for them. I pray that you will give them strength right now. Right now, if If you want to take that moment to say, you know what, I'm I'm willing to do this praise thing for this next week. That each time when I'm feeling anxious and overwhelmed, I'm going to turn to praise. Then I want to pray for you in just a moment. But if you're like, hey, you know what, I really want to give this praise perspective An opportunity that this week, just this next week, anytime that I'm worrying, I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, I'm going to give God some praise instead. And so, if you're here today and you're like, I'm willing to try that, I'd just like you to lift up your hand and I'd like to pray for you for a second. Let me pray. God, I pray right now for each hand that's lifted up. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would minister to the lives of people who have a hand. That they're committing today, not for ever, God, but for this next week. That when anxiety comes, when fear comes, whatever it is, that we will choose to praise you first. God, remind us that you're with us, that you're for us, that you don't want us to ever walk this anxiety path alone that you desire for us to lift a hand of praise to say God I'll I'll choose to have a different perspective to choose to go to you God I pray right now for healing in people emotional healing physical healing spiritual healing healing in relationships God healing in marriages whatever anxiety that they're feeling that God you would move in their life God calm their anxious hearts and this week when they feel anxious God help them to turn to a perspective of praise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you keep praying, I just want to say that maybe for some of you, the void that you have in your life is because you have not made a commitment to Christ. You feel anxious. You feel overwhelmed. It's difficult to get out of bed uh, in the morning. At night, you're anxious about everything. And maybe what's missing most of all is a relationship with a God who loves you and can give you peace and clarity when you can't get it on your own. And so if that's you, if you're like, I need Jesus in my life, I need that peace. I need that assurance. For those of you who are on this stream, just type in, say, I need God's peace. And if you do and you're ready to receive him today, I'm going to invite you into a prayer. But it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself. It's a prayer that we pray together in unity. And so I'm going to invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.